Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who's called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, Simeon, who's called Niger, his second name means black in Latin, and he may have come from Africa. He may be the same of Simon of Cyrene, whose sons Alexander and Rufus were among the Christians of Rome referenced in Mark and in Romans. Lucius of Cyrene. Uh, Cyrene was the capital of the Roman province of Cyrenaica in modern Libya. And they officially placed their hands on Barnabas and Saul in recognition of what the Holy Spirit had already done and what he was going to do in sending them out. So Barnabas and Saul, Saul who would become Paul and um, as we know, they become the missionaries. They, they start planting churches around the Mediterranean Rim. And then you have the churches themselves that begin to uh, sustain and prosper and grow and multiply. Uh, a lot of Christianity today and churches today uh, seem to stem strongly from Pauline Christianity and the effort to multiply and plant churches and people kind of forget seemingly about the people who stay in the churches um, Peter obviously becoming the first pope which you fast forward to now is uh, remnants in what the, we call the Vatican a city-state a country inside of a country that uh, is remnants not only from the collapsed Roman Empire, but the merge between the Romans and early Christianity becoming Catholicism. So you have the Roman Catholic Church, and then eventually it's a formation away from the ruling of the known world of the time or the developed world of the time. And its remnants as the Vatican today, the lineage of the popes, that all comes from Peter. And so, when it comes to, from like a theological standpoint, you have some people who still latch very heavily onto um, the pictorial or, or, or Peter's uh, walk of Christianity that, that led to the powerhouse of the, and the lineage of the popes. And then you also have 
Pauline Christianity, which is more along the lines of truly taking the gospel to every corner of the earth. It's not a right or wrong thing, it's just uh, the recognition of the first kind of, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it a split, but, um, and it's hard to say divide, even though it's a fair word to use, as far as approach to Christianity and approach to following Jesus. Jesus himself, uh, during his ministry, was a man on the move, going from village to village, but he never left his kind of area or origin of a birth, um, obviously from Bethlehem to Nazareth, being born in Bethlehem, being raised in Nazareth, a lot of his ministry that we know of or that's written is really taking place between those two points on the map. So if you look at where Bethlehem is south of Jerusalem, where you look at Nazareth, which is north of Galilee, which is uh, a, a fair track away, maybe two weeks of walking or three weeks of traveling, um, with children and, and groups, it's uh, not an, an immensely long or wide amount of terrain that Jesus himself covered. Uh, Paul alone covered uh, immensely more territory than Jesus himself in his efforts to follow Jesus. Uh, and then you have, obviously, Peter, and, you know, at that time everyone moved around and traveled a lot, but... Um, there was definitely a difference in the distances when you compare it to today of churches and Georgia affecting churches, you know, across the seas and different continents. Um, so it's just something to kind of think about. Barnabas and Saul on Cyprus. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they called to, they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you <laughs> enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. And so, uh, noting some of those strange names and words, uh, Seleucia, the port of Antioch. It's noted as being 16 miles west of Antioch, which is what they sailed into. Cyprus is an island in the eastern Mediterranean inhabited largely by Greeks, but also by many Jews. Uh, they sailed directly west about 130 miles from Seleucia and the east coast of Cyprus. 
Salamis was the most important city on the island. The provincial capital was Paphos, 90 miles southwest. So all, all these travels and journeys, these aren't quick little struts across um, towns. These are day, multiple day long journeys just going from point A to point B. The Greek magos means wise man, sorcerer, magician. Sorcery was forbidden in Judaism, but was not unknown. Bar-Jesus was indeed a false prophet. Sergius Paulus, possibly Lucius Sergius Paulus, who had been an official in the reign of Claudius and then became proconsul, the chief officer of a senatorial province at Paphos in Cyprus. By contrast, Palestine was an imperial province and had a procurator responsible directly to the emperor. Elimus, another name for Bar-Jesus, uh, the man was in proconsul's court. He tried to keep Paulus from believing the Christian message. So Saul was his Jewish name and Paul his Roman name. Probably going back to his life in Tarsus, Luke uses occasion of the conversion of prominent Gentile office official, Sergius Paulus, to introduce the familiar name of the apostle to the Gentiles. So it seems... Um, using the name Paul uh, created immediate familiarity, which it is also just kind of generic amongst the disciples and the name changes. Now there's reason for name changes as well, but in this context, um, the Saul to Paul and the reference of Saul to Paul was uh, purely for recognition and introduction. So Paul and Barnabas in Antioch, Pisidia. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia, and on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law of the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of exhortion to the people, say it. So Paul stood up and, motioning with his hand, said, Men of Israel, you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with, up, and with uplifted arm he led them out of it. And for about forty years he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as inheritance. All this took place about 450 years. And after that he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for forty years. And when he removed them, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do at my will, all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. 
No, but suppose that I am. I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Referencing John the Baptist. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree that laid and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee, to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news, that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm. And in, in he's quoting psalms. You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy ones see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God and his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath, and after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reveling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region, but the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men in the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So referencing the Gentiles, which is anyone who's not a Jew. 
God had chosen these people beforehand and now through conviction and repentance brought them to their faith in Christ. Luke uses the passive voice indicating that God is the agent. Only God grants eternal life. And when it references shaking the dust off their feet, it's a Jewish sign of displeasure and disassociation. Um, it was also something that Jesus specifically told the disciples to do if they were not accepted in a place or by a people. Uh, so in this regard, some of the um, devout Jewish men of the time were just not, uh, th through their, as it describes, jealousy. As Paul and Barnabas are obtaining these large crowds, uh, the internal jealousy of the people, because that's their job. Their job is every Sabbath to preach, and, and they got kind of caught in this um, in this routine of just, oh, okay, here's the same you know 15 people showing up to service every week. And so when something new came in, which was Paul and Barnabas, um, there's definitely that level of attraction. Anytime there's an event, a holiday, a guest speaker... There's this element of attraction, especially if they're renowned or known or, or um, word of mouth catches fire prior to their arrival. Uh, we um, we see it a lot in different avenues. There's just this element of luxury. Uh, it's like, oh, this is a one-time thing. They're in town this weekend. And they can draw a crowd in, but beyond that, the news they were preaching was, was casting even more. They weren't just there for one day. So, you know, if instead of 15 people, maybe 20 people showed up, then the next day, because they were so good and what they were saying was so was, was speaking to the people in such a way, um, Jew and Gentile, that word of mouth alone was just amplifying and uh, multiplying the crowd. So... Paul and Barnabas were able to speak to a lot of people, and, and as those crowds just uh, compounded on itself, the jealousy amongst the Jewish religious leaders of the time caused this uh, break between them. So it's one of those things that we got to be really careful of when it comes to uh, humbling ourselves so we're not missing out on something good. Um but the beauty of Christianity that is overlooked by so many people is the outreach to the Gentile, that that just wasn't a thing during the day, that between being unrighteous, unclean, unworthy, uh, being unforgiven of sin, that was only something like Gentiles experienced. Jewish people were able to be cleansed and forgiven and accepted. And so Jesus opening the floodgates to all people to experience the blessings that were once solely upon the Jewish people. Uh, that it's just a game changer. And to this day, that acceptance is so overlooked and the, the inclusion of Christianity is so overlooked by people who end up becoming overly righteous, overly uh, zealots, I believe would be the word. Um, people who become so caught in rituals and the idea of behaving or acting or morally being superior to everyone else and as if, as if that gains your salvation. And they end up completely overlooking or forgetting or neglecting the fact that it's Christianity is designed to be and meant to be 
the faith with the utmost inclusion. There is no other belief system that is more inclusive than the Christian faith. At least that's how it's meant to be. When you go around the Bible Belt, at least in America, and asking people, um, it's so far from that. People think of Christianity potentially because it's just so vast. There's It's so prevalent and normalized. Um, it's not just this, you know, these two people are coming into town to blow our minds with something new. We are surrounded by churches on every corner in the Bible Belt. So when it comes to the normalization of something good, right? It's like, I'd relate it to almost chocolate. It's like if you're in a position, if you're in a city, um, in a first world country where there's chocolate in every grocery store, you never even care to buy it almost unless you're my wife. But, uh, you get to a point where if you're in a third world country where there aren't grocery stores on every corner, where there's not refrigeration required to keep chocolate from melting, um, that moment you stumble upon a chocolate bar, you will pay five, ten, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five dollars. You'll pay however much you have to, just to remind yourself of the taste and the feel and the texture, um, because it becomes more of a luxury. So, the dilution of Christianity in the Bible Belt is definitely a big issue in the modern day church in the twenty-first century, for sure which is without a question because it's just it's so normalized and with that dilution comes pollution of things that aren't meant to be in Christianity such as exclusion exclusion of types of people exclusion of people in different walks of life separations of class systems uh, church, churches where more wealthy people attend churches where more poor people attend it's like we couldn't be so more off from the mark church is meant to be a place for all people and Christianity is meant to be the faith of the utmost inclusion um, and so that's enough for my rant I am going to start my day God bless